You're listening to Cinepunked, interactive discussions for film lovers. I'm your host, Robert J. E. Simpson. Uh, We're back here uh, at the, uh, in the Watershed Theatre. Um, yes. What's what the theatre? What called the Watershed the Theatre. Back in, in the Watershed. In glorious Bristol City. Uh, during the Slapstick Festival. Yes, 2020. Yeah, just for version. context, let's yes. yes. here. <laughs> and I'm sitting with my friend of the show already, Robert Ross. Hello, Robert. Uh, as I saw you describe last week, the official historian of British, com- British comedy. Well, yeah, I, it was a weird thing because my, my, my sort of my passport is writer, but I've been sort of billing myself, or other people have billed me as Britain's foremost comedy historian. Uh-huh. And I'm now on my on my social media, um, I've had some sort of banners made with me with various sort of comedy luminaries. And it, somewhere in the edit, it wasn't my my <laughs> doing. Somewhere in the edit, the, the foremost has been dropped. So now I'm just Britain's comedy historian, which I sort of yeah. I like. I'm just it's basically I I own all, I own all it. it. <laughs> So anytime we do comedy stuff, we either have to reference you or we have to ask you in to do it. That, that's how it's going to work, clearly, for, I, I, for the I rest prefer of being asked to come and do it, because <laughs> I, I enjoy doing the cine punk stuff. So, yeah, absolutely fun. Um, that said, you know, the reason that we're, we're having this conversation is not the reason that I thought we were going to have this week. It, it's to talk about Terry Jones. Indeed. And the late, great Terry. I never thought I'd... Well, of course, it was, it was coming, but it was still a, a shock when he sadly passed away. So soon after Nin Innes, of course. Mm. And also, um, I always, again, when I'm talking about Terry, have to mention Nancy Lewis, who people probably don't know, but, they, but she married the actor Simon Jones from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And Nancy was an American uh, who worked at Buddha Records, which was the sort of the American branch of Charisma Records. And she was a massive sort of Python champion. And without Nancy Lewis, um, they wouldn't have got such uh, wide exposure on American TV. And, you know, they wouldn't have been the, the massive global phenomena that they, that they are. Um, so, so Neil uh, and, and Nancy uh, in December. And, of course, uh, Terry Jones just um, a few days before this, this festival kicked off. So yeah. it was, it was uh, very sad. I mean, the, 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 one, the one lovely thing about it um, is just the, the absolute outpouring of, of love for him. And, and, and I'm not seeing a bad word about him in any press report at all. And quite right, too, because he was an absolute sweetheart of a man. Um, and it's, uh, I, think, I think, I hate to mention the Daily Mail, Bastards. Um, but I think the Daily Mail of all the nationals. Well, I think I said this before, but, but mm. when when someone of of, of, of great importance in certain, in terms of sort of cultural um, phenomena dies, I tend to buy all the newspapers. So I did that with Peter Cook. Um, I did it with George Harrison. I did it with David Bowie, uh, and I did it with Terry. Um, and the only I think that I got the only national newspaper that didn't put him on the front. Was the Daily Mail? <laughs> so, so don't buy the Daily Mail is my is my is my, my remit from that. Well, but, I think it's uh, good advice for life. <laughs> anyway, good advice just, for, exactly. Yeah. Just don't touch but it. No, particularly not. But uh, it was uh, you know, and as, as you know, I, I knew Terry for a long, mm. long time. I, I've known him for, for 20, 20 odd years. Um, so it was it was a it was a sad sad old day. But you know, he he hadn't been very well for the last few years. So it was. Uh, it was inevitable to come, but when it came, it's still a shock. You, you did say yesterday that he was someone who had a lot of friends. And Absolutely. Well, if, you, if, you, if anybody saw the Michael Palin on the BBC yeah. News the, 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 with um, David Silito, their, their, their arts correspondent, um, uh, Mike's a, a equally beautiful human being, and, and, and obviously he's known Terry for nearly 60 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so they met at, uh, at Oxford University in the early 60s. 
Um, and if anybody saw his, his beautiful, moving um, tribute to his, his, his fallen brother, um, it, was, it was heartbreaking. And, and, and Mike very beautifully did say that you know, he had a lot of friends, and he did. I mean, it was, it was a sort of case that, that sometimes... I met, I met Terry because I was writing a book in the late 90s called Monty Python's Encyclopedia. And, and all of them helped, uh, even, even sort of Graham's spirit was, it was in there, uh, helping from the back. But the other five, the, 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 the living five, were very helpful, but none more so than Terry J. Mm. And it, it was sort of thing, because he was the archivist of Python, really, so he had all the scripts and with all his annotated notes, and he had all these sort of like the, 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 um, the, the, the floor plans for the studio at the BBC, and he had, he had everything, he kept everything. Wow. I mean, so, so, so he invited me around to his house. He lived in Muswell Hill in those days uh, with his first wife, Alison, and he invited me around to his house. Um, and what started... I think he said, I can give you an hour. Uh -huh. And what started as an hour of just rummaging through his sort of filing cabinets... Um, when you were with Terry, he, you know, a, a really good bottle of, um, of Rioja would come out, or he introduced me to this lovely uh, white wine called Pitbull, a, a French white wine. Uh, he'd, bottle of wine would lead to another bottle of wine. And, and what would, was supposed to be like, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon till sort of quarter to two in the afternoon, <laughs> I was there till probably three the next morning. Uh -huh. um, and then there was just a group of people. They, the people were just like, <laughs> like satellites around Terry Jones, you know, because he'd order in some, some Indian takeaway and then there'd be somebody, somebody else would come around from next door, you know, with something. And, and then before you knew it, he was just like playing records or, or singing songs or playing stupid games in his back garden or something. And it, it was always a sort of party with Terry. Um, so uh, yeah, it was it was an amazing amazing sort of organic friendship really, um, mm. and then you sort of forgot that you were with the person. You know, I'd always joke with him because those those really stupid sort of futile top hundred comedy film polls that they do every so often mm. um, invariably has Monty Python's Life of Brian at the pole position, and I would sort because he obviously not only did he co-write it and also acted in it, but he directed it as well, and I would sort of sometimes after a few bottles of wine sort of like poke him in the ribs and say you know that makes you the greatest comedy director of all time terry and he goes no no rob that was buster keaton because <laughs> he was always so humble about his achievements but but you would sort of forget it was him you would forget that it was terry jones bizarrely because he, he was so knowledgeable mm -hmm. and and so affable and so sort of um um erudite in his conversations you talked a lot about politics we shared the similar sort of views on politics um, and, and he would talk about, you know, plays and, and, and Disney films and, and he wasn't much on sport particularly, but, but everything else he, he, he just had an opinion on and, and, and a really interesting opinion. Um, and we would just sit in the pub for hours just chatting, you know, it was just some of my happiest times. Just, you know, I, I, there was a, there's a pub called the Red Lion and Sun because when, when he moved out of Muswell Hill, he moved to Highgate, Highgate Village. Near the, the, the gatehouse, mm. if people know their, their North London locations, the gatehouse is a really good boozer with a sort of little theatre atop, atop it. And he had, a, he had a nice big house around the corner from there. And we'd meet in, in particularly the Red Line of Sun uh, around the corner. And if I was late or he, he, he was there a bit before me, there'd be a pint waiting for me and, you know, a big hug. And we would just, we'd just sit and chat all evening. You know, it was just, just happy times, really was. So... Yeah, I will. I will miss that. But like Mike said, you know, Michael Palin said, you know, that's what he's going to miss. You know, he, he was a, a real hug of a man, Terry, mm -hmm. and um, he just um, was very sort of uh, very humane and, and kind. Um, plus, you know, 
possessed of one of the greatest comedy minds of the 20th century. So it was, it was quite nice to be brilliant and also lovely. Um, not many people can achieve both of those things, but Terry certainly did. It's um, a great testament, I think, to the man himself. I think that's something that, that, that has come out in, in sort of the comments that I've heard this week and that I've read from, from his colleagues yeah. um, and friends. I, I guess part of our job is, is Film historians, comedy historians, is to sort of also look at the work, which is obviously how you got to know him in the first absolutely, place. Absolutely, yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, I was lucky. I was lucky. I mean, off the back of the Python book, um, then we met up again. What was it? Oh, 99, that's right. 99 would have been 30 years of Python. So the book came out in 98. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, was, I sort of tried to get in just under the wire before the anniversary. So the book did really well. It was my second book I'd written. I did the Carry On book first in 96. And then. Um, it wasn't called The Carry On, but it was another book. Mine was called The Carry On Companion, uh, to uh, clarify that, in 96. Then I did Python in 98. And they did a big um, uh, bash at um, the Leicester Square, the Empire Cinema, Leicester Square. Uh, and they screened Monty Python's Life of Brian. Mm. And if memory serves, I think four of them were there. I think it was Terry J, Terry G, Mike... Palin and John Cleese, I think, mm. were the four there um, at this, this big sort of um, 20 years ago, 21 years ago now, um, celebration of that particular milestone. So I'm, I saw him in the pub as well after that. Mm. And I think that was one of those times when I went round to his house and then got, you know, completely blotto and <laughs> ate a lot of uh, Indian food or something. And that, that same evening, actually, ironically, this going back to this Forgotten Hills of Comedy project, that was that uh -huh. night, I think, when he got all his 78 RPM records out of Will Fife and and Max Miller and all these things. We were playing those until dawn, I seem to remember. We had this, this wonderful sort of, it seemed about six foot high, but it was a floor, a floor standing sort of um, 78 RPM record player. And he had all this, this he came moments, almost like something out of a cartoon. He came with this pile of records. I thought, my God, he's going to drop these. It's a precious <laughs> thing he's had since he was like sort of 17, you know, all these records. And he was just, just playing one by one. You won't know this guy and this sort of thing. And that was, that was how the Forgotten Heroes of Comedy project came about because he played a record by a guy called Ronald Franco. I do this in my live show. I tour the, I tour the world doing Forgotten Heroes of Comedy. It's a, it's, it's a book and it's also a show now. And, it, and he played Ronald Franco. And he said, you won't know Ronald Franco. And I did know Ronald Franco because of a, a record my dad had. And we sort of, you know, and he said, oh, you should do a book about that. Forgotten Heroes of Comedy, I'll do the forward. And, and that was that project. But then, and then it just, you know, just, just, we kept on sort of meeting up. And it, was, it wasn't even work then. We did a few other things. We did the, um, uh, the DVD audio commentary for personal services, which he directed about the life of uh, the, the, the famous Madam um, Cynthia Payne. So he did a commentary for that um, whenever that was. Oh gosh, two, early 2000s, maybe 2002, 2003, we did that. But, but we would just meet up. So phone or email or something, are you free you know, next Tuesday to come around and have a bite to eat and then go to the pub? Yeah, okay, great. And it would happen that sometimes I was in, if I was in London, um, for a meeting in the West End, I'd phone Terry that day if he was free. Mm. And he said, oh, yeah, come up, come up. Um, so it, was, so it, it became a non-work thing. We, had, we did do work together when, when it called mm. us both together, but it was a social thing. And him you know, being quite impish and, and knowing, you know, I'm in a very fortunate situation, Robert, to, to be writing and, and celebrating stuff I absolutely adore and have always loved since I was a kid. And Python was one of my passions as a kid. You know, my dad would let me stay up late to watch the reruns on TV and stuff. Um, 
and, and Terry was aware of my sort of love of Python. So sometimes, without telling me, I'd be sat in, let's say, the pub, the, Lion, the Red Lion and Sun, or one of the pubs around there, the gatehouse or something. And we're chatting away. And after about an hour, Terry would say, oh, you, you don't mind this. We've got, I've got some friends coming. I said, it's all right, you know, whatever. You know, sometimes it was just me and him. Sometimes mm. it was a whole group of people. Um, and I'm sat there. And then I just, you know, have this, this hand on my shoulder. And I turn around, and it's Michael Palin, you know. <laughs> and then half an hour later, Terry Gilliam turns up. And you think, I'm sitting here with half Python. You know, this is ridiculous. So if I could go back and tell that 15-year-old self that one day you'd be sat in a pub, and, and again, not, not talking about comedy, just talking about anything, talking uh -huh. about, you know, the, the political situation that was happening in that time. So it was, it was, it was um, yeah, it was, quite, it was quite surreal sometimes, but it was quite apt for Monty Python. I mean, you know, it, it was fun and, and silly times. In terms of, in terms of his work, yeah. I've often felt that Terry goes underappreciated. You know, it was one of the things, I, I, like yourself, when I got asked to do a bunch of, of, of obituaries for the mm. BBC mm. Um, this week, and one of the things they kept on saying to me was that you know he was the one that people didn't recognise, and I get that. Yeah. I mean, he's he's yeah. the one that that didn't have the big Hollywood career afterwards. He wasn't always in front of the camera. No. When he's doing something like um, ripping yarns, mm. he's quite happy to take a back seat and let Mike do all the, the acting. Sure. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I think the thing with Terry was that that. He never wanted to be a comedian, particularly. Mm -hmm. He was always a writer first and foremost in his head. He was, he, was a, he was a creative person. I remember him telling me once that he would have probably been happier just to have been like a, like a Don at Oxford sort of, and to be wallowing in academia for his life and to be looked after, you know, to have a fag to bring his tea around <laughs> in the afternoon and just to sort of like study medieval history or something. He, he loved that. He, lo he loved... There was a point, I think he said to me, that he was in the Bodmin Library doing some research where, where he thought, I want to be writing my own stuff rather than, than, than writing about other people's stuff. Uh -huh. But he did love that. He, lo he, loved, he, loved, he loved history and he loved the creative process. So I suppose that in a weird sort of way, I mean, I, 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 see, what, I see what some people's point is, that he, he never had a Forty Towers, for example, yeah. or he never had a Ruttles like Eric and, and Neil did, or he never had a... Uh, around the world in 80 days, like, like Michael Palin did, or, or I understand that. Uh, even to the extent of Graham Chapman, uh, he had you know projects that, that weren't always successful, but mm. like the odd Job Man or Yellow Beard, those sort of things. He, he he had an identity, and obviously he died very young. He died at 48. Um, but Terry was was an academic. He really was. So he wrote a wonderful book called uh, Chaucer's Night, uh, which sort of deconstructs uh, Geoffrey Chaucer's uh, Canterbury Tales in the 1970s. Um, and because he was, as I said before, the, the Python archivist and also the Python director, mm. um, the, the first film was, was a sort of cobbled together. They, they reshot some, some sketches, mainly for American audiences. It was a film called A Now for Something Completely Different. So that was a sort of a, a, a reheating of, of particularly sort of series two um, Monty Python sketches. But when they did Monty Python and the Holy Grail, mm. which Terry's handprints were all over that in terms of history and, and everything, and him and Mike wrote great swathes of that. Um, but but uh, he shared directorial duties with Terry Gilliam on that one. When they got to Monty Python's Life of Brian, it was just Terry uh, Jones, and he also uh, just directed uh, Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. So he was the one that would go to the film festivals around the world. Mm -hmm. So you know, he would say, you know, it's given me, 
you know, A, A, I'm financially secure because of Python being internationally popular, and B, I'm asked to go to, you know, sort of like Zurich or, you know, sort of like, you know, Botswana land or something, just to sort of like, they, they run Life of Brian usually, and I'm there to talk about it. Uh -huh. so, so he was very proud of that. And of course, we mentioned personal services. He made, he made other feature films too. Um, he was very proud of The Wind in the Willows. Which, which, I, which I remember was watching that. An amazing I went, I went film. I to see that as a... Yeah. A young teenager, right? Well, I mean, 96. 96, yeah. 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 I went, went with um, my best friend, and it was a very, very empty screening on a Saturday morning. A bunch of kids down near the front, us right at the back, chortling away at all the stuff the kids went over the kids' heads. Yeah. Um, it's I, a very adult script, actually, because Terry wrote it as well. And it's, it, I think the problem was there was the Alan Bennett um, version. Um, oh, which okay. played at the National Theatre very successfully um, with uh, uh, Jeremy Sindon was a brilliant uh, Toad of Toad Hall in that. And I think, they were I think Disney was trying to do a film of that play at the same time that Terry's came out. And there was some sort of distribution angst going on and it didn't get the exposure that he wanted it to. Yeah. He, he was so proud. And I think his performance as, as Toad is just magnificent. I mean, he's, he's having the best time and in his house, he had, I think in the film actually it's a prop, but it's a huge sort of like portrait of him as, as Toad. And he had that <laughs> propped in his house. He had, yeah, I remember he had two, two port, he had one he had of himself. He had an amazing original uh, Charlie Chaplin poster, which is probably worth more than my house. Um, but the poster, he had this, this screen, he didn't have a TV chair, he had a screening room. So he would run okay. films on a big screen in this, in this and, and he had this, this amazing Chaplin poster in there. But he had this, this Wind in the Willow portrait. He also had a portrait which was done um, in the, the late 90s, early 2000s. He was famous for being the naked organist in yes. Python. He, had a, he, had, he, he reposed in his dotage, <laughs> naked, sat at a, a keyboard, and he had that portrait in his house too. I've, I've seen photographs of that one. There yeah, you go, yeah. yeah. And, and yes, it's, 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 it was quite a thing. Um, and, um, but he made other, I mean, he, he, bless him, he made a film um, in 2015 called Absolutely Anything, mm -hmm. which, um, was a script he had knocking around for ages and, and couldn't get the money for it. And I think his, his son, Bill Jones, who's a film producer and uh, writer and, and very, very talented young man, um, he got the budget for it. So that was Terry's last feature film as director. Um, Simon Pegg starred and he called a lot of mates in. I mean, Jonah Lumley's in it and... Um, last Robin Williams performance. Last Robin Williams is the voice of the dog, exactly, yes. Yeah. And all the Pythons came back, even Eric. Uh, amazingly, uh, after quite a bit of uh, <laughs> adverse publicity, I remember. Yeah, 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 it was a, it was a tricky one because they all they, they were the voice of the aliens um, in it, and they are they are billed as well on the poster, which they're billed and, and, the, and they're billed the just as Monty Python, Python. Yeah, yeah, not as individuals. It was it was an interesting thing. So it's just the voices, and, and basically the, the the plot is it's 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 a, a pastiche of the um, H.G. Wells novello, um, the man who could work miracles, uh, is the idea. So basically or Bruce Almighty's another sort of mm. version on that. It's basically, you know, not the gods this time, but this group of aliens just pick on some random idiot, which is Simon Pegg, and he has the ability to do absolutely anything, which is the, the film. Um, and it's worth seeing. If you ever see it, you'll probably see it in, in CEX for 50 pence. Buy it. It's really, it's I fun. Pick it's up fun. two copies of oh, it. Yeah, OK, there you go. And Terry's also in it. He pops up as the cab driver in it uh, yes. very briefly. Um, but uh, it's a fun film, and, and that was his last uh, film directorial um, assignment and the last thing he actually directed. I'm going to blow my trumpet again. Like I, always, I always do that. Oh. Um, indeed, thank you. No, no, not carry on this time. <laughs> um, he directed a play that I, I wrote about Marty Feldman and Loretta Feldman mm -hmm. uh, called Jeepers Creepers, and that was a, a play uh, on the stage which he directed in 2016. Yeah. Uh, and he wasn't he wasn't well to be honest. He wasn't up to it really. Um, but he did it because he wanted to do it. 
Um, and we got through it. It was, a, it, was a, it was a really quick rehearsal schedule. I think we had 10 days rehearsal for it. Mm. Um, but it was fun and there were moments, I mean, you know, he, he was, socially he was still with us and he, and he, was, he could still talk then. I mean, this, this awful dementia, this, this, this uh, uh, forgive me, it's frontal, temporal, it's, it's basically affects your speech. Yeah. Um, and and you, have, you have the thoughts, you, you know what you want to say, but you just can't, the, the brain doesn't, synapse don't sort of connect and you can't, you can't express yourself. So he got to the point when he was really getting quite frustrated and, and just, was, you know, and, and then eventually, I mean, I, I saw him um, just before Christmas, and it was, yeah, not 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 fun. Um, and um, you'd get a spark of recognition, and then it would just go. Mm -hmm. um, but in 2016, he could still communicate, and he could still. But he he, he wasn't he wasn't peak peak Terry, bless yeah. him. But he he did it, and you know we we got it on the stage, and it was his last thing, and it was fun to do that. Uh, with him, um, but yeah, it was, it was a lovely little piece. I mean, yeah, well, thank you. You, you know, saw, of course, I, I you saw it. Yeah, yeah, you saw it. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's something I'm I'm very proud of, and and because and, and also because Terry and and Michael Palin, actually all the Pythons apart from Terry Gilliam, they'd all written for Marty Feldman back in the in the late '60s. Mm -hmm. um, literally just before Python hit, they were writing "It's Marty." Um, so a lot of those sketches, and I think that's probably what inspired them. That and another show that Michael. Um, and Terry did called the complete and utter history of Britain, mm -hmm. um, which they which they were in, but the sort of studio stuff it's 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 like it's very Python. In fact, they 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 take moments of history, but they they retell it in 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 the form of maybe like a, a post football match um, you know uh, interview on TV, or they they have like sort of game shows um, you know like the Battle of Hastings, but it's a game show. It's that sort of format, and and um, uh, and that's called um, uh, Roddy. Oh God! What was his name? Roddy Roxby, Maud Roxby. I think Roddy Rox Roddy Maud Roxby was the actor that basically does the sort of the, the presenting, you know. And mm. now we're going to go over to 1066. Um, and Terry thought he wasn't really that brilliant. I mean, actually looking at it again later when they when they did some links for the network DVD release of it, he actually said actually Roddy was pretty good. I was, <laughs> I was being unfair, I think, but I was like I was like you know 26 and and, and arrogant and everything. actually now it's okay. Um, but that that um, show, but particularly there was a sketch they wrote for Marty Feldman um, about um, Marty um, is a, like a, a, a goblin or an elf um, going to get a mortgage yes. for Dingley Dell or something, and John Junkin is the is the, the mortgage provider. And apparently, because he did it in front of a live audience, uh, Marty, the Marty Show. Apparently, he, 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 he panicked at the sketch before he went out, and he went out and just saw the audience and started doing a load of gnome jokes, mm -hmm. and completely off-piste of the script that Terry and Mike had written. And Terry was furious, you know, at the time, saying, what the hell is he doing? You know, he's ruining our sketch. And he said, then, that was the moment I thought, we should, we've got to do our own stuff. We write it and we perform it. And mm -hmm. That was the seed of, of Python, I suppose. Um, but because he, because he was very grateful to Marty, and, and also um, David Frost has been mentioned a few times at the Slapstick this weekend as a, as a sort of a, um, a catalyst for, for talent. Uh, on the Frost Report, he had a long list of writers. I mean, but the two, the two head honchos really were Barry Cryer uh, and Marty Feldman. They were the, the head sort of people who kept all these young Oxbridge graduates, including, you know, the five British Pythons, all three goodies, um, Jonathan Lynn, um, Anthony Jay, loads of writers. I mean, all the brilliant brains of the, of the 60s were writing this show. But Terry and Mike always told me that the, the, the two people that really embraced them when they went into that, you know, as, as, as callow sort of 24-year-olds, mm. 
to go and meet this, this behemoth that, is, that was David Frost. The two that came over and said, hello, do you want a cup of tea, were, were Baz Cryer and, and Marty Feldman, who really sort of took them under their wing. So, so Cherry always felt he owed him a, a, a favour, mm-hmm. so that's why he directed this, this play. Um, but yeah, so I mean, but, but another, I mean, you know, we're not even touched on the books really. I mean, we mentioned the Chaucer one, Chaucer's Night, but he wrote books for children, he, uh, the saga of Eric the Viking. He wrote a collection of short stories called Evil Machines, uh, which is basically just like toasters and sort of um, uh, traffic um, meters, you know, becoming animated and going crazy, um, which was based on, a, on an opera he'd written. That's um, the one published by Unbound, isn't it? Unbound, and Unbound, the, first the, very, the, very first, the very first Unbound book, because if you get the Unbound books, they're all, and, and, and number one is Evil Machines by Terry Jones, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and it was because of Terry, I was, I was, a, I was a bit sort of, um, I was a bit um, sort of um, reluctant to, to go down the crowdfunding route. So I always thought, oh, that's a bit naff, you know. Well, you've a bit... always been with traditional publishers, I'm haven't tris- you, Rob? Yeah, well, I, 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 I'm, I'm an old-fashioned person. But now, of course, you can sort of, you do Vanity Press or you can sort of like uh, yeah. de- uh, desktop publish or whatever. And it's, there's no shame in it at all. Although I still prefer a proper publisher. Um, but, but it was Terry that said, look, you, we can't get a publisher for this Forgotten Heroes of Comedy. Why don't you go to this Unbound, this, this crowd? I said, oh, really? Look, I'm doing it. Uh-huh. I'm, I go, OK, it's good enough for Terry Jones. It's good enough for me, and I think a lot of writers yeah. felt that, and they, they've got some really good names on there now, and because of Terry, um, and people like Justin Pollard, who, who sort of are, are the, the organisers of Unbound, you know, will always cite Terry Jones as as the um, as the sort of the flag bearer for that for that company. So yeah, I think I mean you, you've touched on it already, and it's something <laughs> that I only kind of briefly mentioned when I was doing the BBC stuff this week. Um, was in terms of Terry's role as an archivist. But it's Terry, actually, mm. that we've got to thank, I believe, for Monty Python even existing. In yeah. Terms of, in terms of after it aired. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. I mean, I, th- I, think, I think it's come out, again, in, in some very well-written... Um, there's a friend of mine, Eddie Robson, did a, a piece about Terry um, pretty much claiming that, that he was the most important Python uh-huh. in terms of the structure of it and in terms of the sort of the driving force of it. And as I mentioned before, the archivist of it. But, yeah, I mean, he, you know, he went to the BBC, you know, because in those days, I mean, you, you know, you've got to forgive them. I mean, it's, it, what, the policy, I think, was they show it and they may get one repeat, and then after that, who cares? Yeah, it gets junked. <coughs> it gets junked. Um, so we know, you know, so much of, of uh, Till Daffus Do Part and Hancock's Half Hour, when it went to, uh, from live to, to, to uh, recorded, Step Turn Sun, all these shows, they, they, were, they were not considered, mm. you know. And why would they be, you know? I mean, they would, bizarrely, they would keep certain things that, that uh, they'd keep like, you know, a 1967 um, performance of, of Mozart or something because it was considered culturally important. Mm. But they would wipe, I don't know, twice a fortnight with, with the pre-goodies or something, you know? So it was culturally um, important or it was, a, it was a sample episode, you got a random sample. You get a sample just to show this is what we did. Yeah, in they did the, that with Doctor year. Who, for yeah. example. They would keep like episode two of a six-part <laughs> Patrick Troughton story. So what's the point of that, you know? Um, but just as an example. So, but, but, but the thing is, I think John Cleese said this, because they watched a lot of, of, uh, of John Cleese's early stuff. Uh-huh. You know, a 1967 performance of Mozart is exactly the same as a, a 2017 <laughs> version of Mozart. It's the same thing. Whereas, you know, you can't, you can't replicate Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. You know, you can't replicate um, Tony Hancock, you know. Um, although they, they tried, um, but the original stuff is always the best. <clears throat> so, so Terry was the one that went in and basically just got all the, the rules of film. He had them in his, in his house. I was, I, I've held these, these cans of, 
of original Monty Python. And it was also Terry, uh, um, Nancy Lewis, I mentioned before about the American thing, but, but uh, Terry was the one that was so passionate about when they were shown on American TV, they would tend to like um, cut them up into compilations. Yes. Um, so they would lose sometimes a lot of Terry Gilliam's animation, for example, uh, and they would lose the sense of it. They would lose that, that wonderful, my favourite Python character is Michael Palin as the It's Man. I think it's just a treat. And it was you, wasn't it? Because he, he just did um, Words oh, of Words of Gummage, yeah, yeah. And he looks like the It's Man now. He's got to the age. It's, it's a bit like um, um, uh, Robin Ince was mentioning this morning with Bill Oddie's uh, animation thing about uh, the, 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 the sequel to Mary Poppins, where Dick Van Dyke comes back playing the same old man character he also played in the original Mary Poppins, but now he's 93 <laughs> and he can play it without makeup now. <laughs> Michael Payton now looks like the It's Man uh, in, in this Wurzel Gummidge. What's his character? He's not, it's not the Crow Man, it's, it's the Green Man. He's playing the Green Man in it. He's basically the, 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 the Jeffrey Belden equivalent. Um, he's, the, he's the creator of uh, uh, the custodian of all the, uh, of all the scarecrows. It's gorgeous, by the way. If you haven't, if you haven't seen the Mackenzie Crook words of gummage, it's an absolute treat. I loved it. I loved it. Uh, with music by the Unthanks, who I adore as well. Proper British um, folk uh, duo. Anyway, I digress. But, but Mike's in it now, and he looks like the It's Man. And I think he was on... I heard, someone told me he was on BBC Breakfast as a sort of like a location report just before they broadcast it. I think it was Boxing Day it went out, the first episode. So a couple of, couple of days before Christmas, I think they had this thing on. And I was on the way to London, and a friend of mine texted me and said, did you see Michael Palin? I said, no, I missed it, I missed it. And he said, he, did, he, he said, it's. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I put this out into the, the glorious world of Twitter, and it was you, Robert, that, that had got the clip. And, it, and, and bugging me, he's there, you know. <laughs> In his in his in his um, his um, persona is this Wurzel Gummidge character, this uh, this uh, green man or crow man, whatever he plays, uh, and he and he and he says, and it cuts from 1969 Mike doing it to 2019 Mike, and it's an absolute treat. So yeah, it's uh, but yeah, so so uh, I think, but it was Terry that, that basically said to the Americans, you know, you cannot cut our work. This mm -hmm. this, this is a stream of consciousness, and with Gilliam's animation that sort of ties it all up, and we got you know. Graham Chapman coming in and saying, stop that, it's getting silly and all that. And, and it, doesn't make, it doesn't work if you cut it up. Um, so, so, yeah, he, he, he was very passionate about it. And I think of all the Pythons, he was the one that was um, so happy to do the O2 shows in mm. 2014. Now, uh, those close to him, uh, we, we were seeing something wasn't quite up with yeah. it then. Um, <laughs> it wasn't disclosed. No one knew what it was, and he got quite scared about what it was. Actually, he thought he was just sort of going a bit, bit, bit doolally. And I would sit down in the pub with him, and I had a notebook like this, and, and he would ask me to make notes. And he said, "Rob, if 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 I lose my thread at all, if I you know, just we used to make a note about uh -huh. what we were talking about when I lost my thread, because I'm I'm trying to work out." So, what. Okay. so he wasn't quite sure what it was. But he was aware of himself. He was aware. Oh God, yeah. he was aware of it. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, I, I mean, I remember as a as a viewing member of the public watching the O2 show that went out, and I could see that Terry wasn't getting it in the way yeah. that he would have done any time before. No, and so there were certain things, that, the Crunchy Frog sketch, for example, yes. um, where he's the, basically the, 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 the confectionery uh, uh, maker um, with this Crunchy Frog, and it's, it's dipped in the finest milk chocolate and all that thing. And it's a long old list of, of ingredients and stuff, and it's really, it's, you know, and he would have on the actual, I remember seeing the prop, it's, it was a box of chocolates and, and on the inside lid of it was, was the script. Yeah. And you know, he was reading, fair enough. Sometimes, 
Cleese or Gilliam would be, and they didn't know what was going on. They mm. just thought, oh, silly old bugger sort of thing. And they'd sometimes rip this thing off and, and chuck the lid into the audience. And, and then Terry was completely, you know, scuppered. He, uh -huh. you know, and Eric was getting, who also directed it, Eric Idle directed it, and he was getting quite angry with Terry. And there was, it opened with the, um, uh, the Four Yorkshiremen sketch, which, as Tim Brooke Taylor has been saying this weekend, was a, a last nineteen forty eight show. So, so Tim and Marty Feldman wrote that uh, with John Cleese and Graham Chapman. And it was sort of brought, like a lot of the, like, the last 48 show stuff was, was, was taken into the Python's bosom um, because it was sort of lost or not really known about. Mm -hmm. So when they were touring America or doing the Hollywood Bowl shows, they would do quite a lot of 48 show routines and stuff. Obligation albums, a lot of There's stuff, a lot of that on there. Yeah. The bookshop sketch they yeah. show, that's in there, certainly, yeah. Um, and Four Yorkshiremen became a, a inverted commas Python sketch, much of the chagrin of, of, of Tim particularly. Um, but they opened the O2 show with the Four Yorkshiremen, and it was it was Eric, Cleasy, Mike, and Terry. I think Terry J. I think there's a four of them, and they and beautifully had a had a, a fifth um, um, brandy glass uh, for Graham as a sort of tribute to Graham because um, he'd originally done the sketch um, in 1967. And there were points where Terry lost his lines mm -hmm. on that. And I remember, because I, I saw the show, I think, six times out of the ten, beaten only by Eddie Izzard, who saw it eight times, I think. <laughs> um, but I was at the first and last, for sure. But what they did, again, much to Eric Idle's anger, um, they wanted to do ten shows. They were going to do one originally, then they, they did ten. Uh -huh. And they did a, a bank of five with a break, and then another five. So I remember I was in the pub with Terry after the first five, and he was getting quite upset about the fact he was losing his lines. You know, he, wasn't, he, was, he was forgetting these lines. So I, me being... A, 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 a comedy obsessive, no, no, pretty much verbatim the, the four Yorkshiremen. So I was playing the three, and I was sort of giving, and, and we did, we did the sketch. Mm -hmm. I remember, that I can, I can see us doing it. We had a bottle of wine, <laughs> on a, on a, I don't know, whatever it was, a Tuesday afternoon, and on his week off from the Python O2 shows, and we did the sketch, and he was word perfect. And I said, well, look, you know it, Terry, you know. Uh -huh. he, goes, he goes, yeah, but there's sixty thousand people out there <laughs> when I do it, you know. I said, fair, fair point. Um, but um, so, so he was, he was aware of it, certainly. But, um, but yeah, that was, they were, they were joyous, they were joyous shows. And, and I, again, a lot of the press were quite scathing about, oh, these old men just mm. doing this show for the money. And, uh, and the, the, one of the things I really love about the Pythons is that they're, they're completely upfront about it, that they're doing stuff for the cash, you know, and... Um, yeah, John and Eric in particular... Have John and it. Eric, oh, <laughs> particularly Eric. Uh, well, John's got so many divorces to, to sort of cover. And that's he's the, got the so much tour was one that John yeah, did, and then that's Eric right. was the goody yeah. bastard tour. That's it, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, it, but it's fun, it's funny, I mean, you know. And, uh, and they had this whole thing because of, because of Spamalot and because of... Um, uh, a person who will remain nameless, who who, who state to claim um, in the um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail mm. film, which obviously is the basis of Spamalot, um, and and he won he won a lot of money, and, so, and it, it was pure and simple. In order to to recoup that loss, they did the live shows, and um, and Terry Jones said he might pay my mortgage off. That's what I'm doing it for, <laughs> which he didn't quite bless him, but he, he got he got a few quid. But but it was it was yeah, and I mean I'm never honest about it, but also it was just just. Tremendous. I mean, it was it was a whole. You saw it. A whole production numbers and musical numbers that Eric loves so much, and uh, and and it was and it was funny. I mean, they they could still do it. You know, when 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 Mike Palin and John Cleese do the dead parrot sketch together, it's just it's just a joy. I mean, we're all sort of like chanting along <laughs> to the lines, you know. Um, and um, and John would. There's a bit. What is it? There's the, there's a line in it where where he basically would would change the name every single show. 
Um, and on the very last show, he said, uh, and as Dr. Chapman said to me, and it was that got a huge <laughs> round because Graham was there in, on film and in, and in spirit. So they always would say, they, when Graham died in 89, they said, that's it. We, without the six of us together, we can't do anything. Um, so they would do sort of compilations and, and, and documentaries and stuff like that. Um, and, and obviously, thanks to film, Graham was there. So it was uh, a little, a little um, uh, on the poster, I think, it's a little sort of greyed out uh, Graham uh, in the clouds, and then the, the five of them in their sort of Gumby suits. And it was uh, uh, one down, five to go. And of course, John Cleese's tweet when Terry died was two down, four, four to, to go. go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's even, even in death, I mean, that's the whole thing about Python. There's no, there's no boundaries. They can be as bad taste as they want to be. And, it's, uh, and I mean, Terry saw the funny side of the whole dementia in the end. I mean, once he knew what it was, mm -hmm. He, he became a sort of bit of a, a, a champion for that, and he would go on marches and stuff. But then, you know, in the early days when he was still just 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 about firing on it, um, but then it got really really tough, and it was yeah. But you know, it was uh, he would I, I, I would bizarrely enough when he when he couldn't really speak that much, we would sit around his place um, in Highgate Village and, and watch silent films. He was a massive champion of, of mm -hmm. particularly Buster Keaton. Uh, and Charlie Chaplin, and he would he would love to watch silent films. And I remember he was sitting there holding hands, just watching films with him. And um, he he would sort of laugh in the funny bits and, and cry in the in the sad bits. And he would just sort of look at me and just like sort of beaming, you know, and just because because he could relate to that silent world even more so than mm. when he was a kid. It was it was it was very very beautiful actually. Um, so he was yeah he, he he loved his films. He loved his real ale. Um, mm. He loved his food. My God, he loved his food. He was one of those people, you know, anybody else, you'd get really annoyed with this person. But let's say there's like a table of eight of us and we've all got our Indian takeaway delivered to Terry's house. And he would be one of those people dipping into everybody's dish. So what's yours like, Rob? Okay, that's fine. You know. One of them. Oh. <laughs> no, no, but because no, he, he, he didn't want to miss out on anything. And, if, um, and with, before I went vegan, I, I, was, I was meat eater first and then I became vegetarian and then I was vegan. But, so when I, was, when I was eating meat, um, when I first knew Terry, um, and um, and fish, for example. So uh, people don't. This is very dull. But if you're if you're a real ale fan, you'll know this. That to keep to keep the to the the, the, the brew um, um, fresh and lively, they put a thing called um, um, uh, Isinglass in it, which is basically Isinglass is is fish guts. They put in the barrel. No, they do. They put. They put. I know. Robert is putting a face here. I know. I, but it's I, true. I eat meat. I mean. No, no, no. They, they put. It's, it's to keep. It's to keep the beer. It, it makes it taste better, basically. Uh -huh. It keeps it longer in the barrel. Um, if you buy bottled beer, it's not in it because you don't because it's got the boom, the fizz. Yeah. Right. The, the bottle is the is, does does a job of of the Isinglass. Um, but if you on tap pints, most pints, some some don't. There's there's a brewery called Black Sheep Brewery that yes. do a vegan version uh, and some Monty Python themed drinks. There you go. They I do. Have, they I've do, ordered them. They before, do the, yeah. the Monty Python Holy <laughs> Ale, isn't that's it? it? That's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's a vegan one. Um, but when I was drinking anything, <laughs> which I, I did in the nineties with Terry, we would we would start, we would go through these these pubs and there, there was a there was a micro brewery in one of these pubs. Which one, it might have been the Red Line of Sun. It might have been. Anyway, one of the ones in Highgate had a microbrew, and we would literally just work our way through of an evening, <laughs> every single pint, and we'd just, is that one okay too? No, this one's nicer. Okay, we'll have two of those instead then, and then we'll stick on that one for a couple of rounds, and then we'll try that one afterwards. And um, it was, I mean, he's, he, loved, he loved consuming things. He just, like, he loved movies. He loved books. He was a, a massive reader, and I mean, I, I, I'm, I'd read all the time, but, and some books are sort of classics, uh, like, 
um, uh, Brave New World I was reading. I remember Brave New World. And I said, you read this too? He goes, yeah, I read it at university. I thought, yeah, of course you, of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> but he would sort of, have you read this one? I said, no, I've not read that. So we, we would sort of swap books. And, and, and he liked to cook as well. He was a very good cook. Um, so yeah, he was a, he was just just a, you know. Um, so so I, uh, this is a very long. Everyone knows me. No, no. I, I answer questions with with, with with essays, but I think what because he because he's is the Python I suppose with the less um, or the least amount of huge individual projects. Uh -huh. He did so much stuff. He did so much stuff. He directed and he wrote. It's so wrong to say um, that he's the one without the huge. Because well, I mean, when I look at all the, the TVs, when I look at the, the the historical books that he wrote, the, yeah. the TV series that accompanied those, that people have forgotten about. Yeah. When you look Crusaders at all the things and that he stuff, has yeah. his hand in. Yeah. Or oh, um, Labyrinth. We haven't not mentioned Labyrinth, have we? If he wrote the script for. Well, the first um, script. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of Terry in it. I mean, there's there's a lot of. You know, you remind me of the babe. That's 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 so Terry. Like, you know, <laughs> and the little worm um, is so Terry. Um, and uh, he wrote a, he wrote a, 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 a treatment uh, a draft script uh, for Gremlins Two. Oh, the you new, did the it? New I did batch. Not know that. He wrote oh, he wrote okay. a script for that, which I which I saw in his in his archive. Um, he he wrote all sorts of things, and and he would he would sort of. Um, lecture uh, mm. about medieval history very seriously you know but then again he, i always think you know he would, he would have been the greatest history teacher ever you know he was so enthusiastic and those documentaries which mm. you know, they should be maybe you know it's always in in death the bbc bring out the old stuff and if they do repeat them please watch them because they're just amazing he did uh, gladiators he did crusades um there was a few he did he did some brilliant um uh, documentaries about maps and canals and things. I mean, he just made everything fascinating. One of the last ones he did was about Chaplin for mm -hmm. ITV, which is a beautiful uh, documentary. But maybe this is the thing. I mean, even though he didn't end up following that academic route down, he was able to introduce it in his work. So even something as simple as Holy Grail, we're having that discussion about the way that, you know, you elect a government, essentially. Yeah, yeah. You know, I am king. You know, I, didn't, I didn't vote for you and all that, you know. You know and, there, um, there are lessons there that yeah, I've there taken are. through well, my because, life. Because it was... I think there's a line. There's a line. Um, is it Eric says it? I think and, and Graham. Graham, beautiful performance as King Arthur. I mean, it's an absolute, just brilliant, brilliant performance. So sort of straight. He's like the sort of the totem pole with all these mm. crazies, you know, dancing around him, and he and he's riding through with his coconuts, you know, with um, uh, Terry Gilliam. Is it, uh, is it Pansy? Pat's Pansy? Uh, Pats, Patsy, 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 doing his coconuts behind him, and. Um, uh, and he's going through. And Eric Idle then looks at him and he says, Oh, is, is that? Oh, it's the king. He says, Well, how do you know? He's, like, he's not covered in shit. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, but, it's, but, but no, no film up to that point. It all, it had all been sort of very, you know, romanticised. It had yeah. been sort of Tony Curtis, you know, you know, what's that, what's that famous line? Yonder is the how is the castle of my father, or whatever hell that line is. But it was all beautiful and and, and glorious Technicolor. And for the first time, there was a film set in sort of medieval England that was murky and mm. dirty, and and you know people died. You know, it was like, it was a real, it was proper history. Plus, it was really funny. And I think that was Terry's great gift that he would he could sort of demystify these these quite weighty. Um, um, uh, texts and, and weighty, you know, histor historical sort of um, um, references and make them make them understandable. And that was his great gift. Um, he was so passionate about about life, really. Yeah. So, so I think it was the thing that was quoted most of the week about you know how Terry wanted to be remembered, and Terry said that it was either maybe as a kids' author or you know for some of the history stuff that he did. Mm. For you, what's the the Terry thing that you you would most go to? 
you're going to introduce someone to Terry, Terry Jones, what are you going to say? This is what you need to watch or read. Oh, gosh. One project. That's, that's, that's a good question. You can tell these aren't these aren't um, these aren't uh, uh, pre-organised. So questions. I mean, I mean, completely uh, off the off the cuff conversation we have. You, you um, mentioned a couple of times during the week about you know Terry ultimately had three of his films were banned in Ireland. Which was well, one, 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 one of his one of his proudest one of his proudest achievements. Were yeah, I must find out what the fourth one. I was thinking about it the other day because I, I, we both did a few radios as you mentioned earlier. And, but one of his proudest achievements were, were that uh, in I think in, by the 19, early 1990s uh, there were there were four films that had been banned in Ireland, and he directed three of them. <laughs> so it was Monty Python's Life of Brian, Monty Python and the Meaning of Life, and Personal Services. You can tell it's a very Catholic company. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> so he was quite chuffed about that. And uh, I, I think I think I suppose. Completely off piece. I suppose there's, I'm going to be I'm going to be greedy and take two. Okay. I'm going to. I'm you're, going to you're say, lied. You're, thank you're you. Britain's <laughs> official comedy historian. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I think Wind in the Willows sort of encapsulates his complete joy of life and his uh, his uh, sort of verve and vigour of just just excess. So he was so much total toad hog, Terry. He loved everything and he loved the best in in fine wines and he loved you know good conversation. So. So I think I think as a sort of like a Sunday afternoon family film uh -huh. with quite a dark underbelly, I would I would suggest you watch the the Wind in the Willows. And then I mean it's the greatest comedy film of all time. It's got to be Meaning of Life. And uh, no, sorry, uh, Monty uh, Python's Life of Brian. It's got to be Life of Brian because it's I did a thing um, uh, Christmas uh, last year, so December 2019, um, at the Victoria and Albert Museum. Of yeah. <laughs> all things, I'm so chuffed. To, to bring Python to the V&A, and I, I introduced the screening of, of Life of Brian as an alternative Christmas film, um, and the editor that was there, Julian Doyle, who worked on Terry's, quite a lot of Terry's films, actually, um, who's a lovely filmmaker in his own right, but um, and we introduced this film to a packed V&A you know, cinema um, screening room, and, and I not watched it for a few years, and I, and I, I, I watched it with the audience, which helps mm. a lot, like these films we're watching this weekend, um, watching Lauren Hardy, or or Buster Keaton with an audience. Uh, it's just so, ah. Oh, it that, that observation I hadn't caught until uh, Stephen Merchant was doing his thing last night with Robin Ince, and they were talking mm. about how later on Stan Arrow watch these movies and think they're a bit slow. Yeah. It's because they're made to yeah. facilitate the audience laughter. Yeah, absolutely. And then you watch them in the audience and you say, oh I my know, gosh, I know. people do actually S laugh. Stan would watch them on TV allegedly and think, yeah. oh God, that needs a cut there. But no, with an audience, because you, you, you laugh and then Ollie looks into the camera and you get another laugh. And Stan is sort of like, a bit like Terry Jones in that respect on the, on the Python TV shows, which was Ian McNaughton directing. Mm -hmm. You have people like Jimmy Parrott directing the, 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 the Lauren Hardy shorts, but Stan's behind him, you know, <laughs> knowing exactly what's going on. And Terry was that equivalent. You yeah. know, that's why he directed the films later. Um, but yeah, you're right. So, so, so that slow burn of Ollie, and then a laugh, and you've got like a, a good four seconds of nothing laughter when you're watching it with an audience, and then you get a belter afterwards. Um, and that's that's yeah, life of Brian. I mean, it's it's. I always cite that. I think it always gets voted as I mentioned earlier, the number one film, uh, comedy film of all time. But watching it with that audience, um, December nineteen, it's 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 perfection. It's literally. I'm getting quite emotional now. But it is. It's perfection. There's not a bit in it that's that's dead wood. It's it's absolutely great. And and. And the script just sings, and even the craziness of of of, of that sort of Star Wars madness that happens, <laughs> you know, and 
that, that, that it's just ridiculous. When that, and that works, and Star Wars is now a thing that, that has never gone away either. So that yeah. reference still works. You can watch it 41 years on, and it still it still makes sense that Star Wars reference. So it's just it's just a great thing. So I think those two films, if you want to sort of celebrate Terry Jones as as a filmmaker, which which is he's one of the, I think for me one of Britain's great filmmakers, then Wind in the Willows, followed by a bit of naughtiness, Monty Python's Life of Brian. Um, this has been a very uh, food-oriented <laughs> conversation. Yeah. Bizarre we should go for lunch now. What we? was the thing? <laughs> um, we, we, you mentioned a, a white wine that. Yes, Pitbull. 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 It's okay. a French white wine. And it's beautiful. Um, Does any I, of our regulars will know? Last it was in, when we did the show with Richard Elfman. Richard was was well, I mean, he did me a whole barbecue and you yeah. know, was recommending cigars and whiskeys. Oh, okay. Oh, so, no, right. like, so this oh, well, is in that well, tradition well, of. I'll of tell you because because when you I remember you came to Jeepers Creepers. Um, um, uh, which was uh, in 2016, yes. uh, and, and my ex, who's an actor, um, played Loretta, uh, Rebecca Vaughan, who's very good. Go and and David, David Boyle <laughs> played Marty Feldman. So, so but when you came, and you, it was your friend came as well? Yes, I remember, Jim. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I, I'm a member of a club called Two Bridges, um, mm. which is just opposite the National Portrait Gallery in, uh, in Charing Cross in London. Uh, and Terry Jones was a founder member of that. Oh. And it was down to Terry that I got membership, because it's a long, long waiting list. Yeah, yeah. I got sort of fast track, because you're supposed to have, I think, I think, three recommendations from members. Wow. And Terry said, oh, and I got, I just signed this and I'm in, right? And, and it was in there, we a, I, I was going in there with Terry for, oh God, years, um, probably 15 years or so. And it was in there that he said, oh, they, could, they do a really nice wine in there. I said, oh, yeah, okay, go on. And this was this Pitbull wine. P-I-C-P-O-U-L, Pitbull. Pitbull. Uh, and French wine, and it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. So, so I always, every time I'm in there, even without Terry or with Terry, um, I'd always have that wine. So, so when I'm next in there, which I'm actually there next, um, on, <laughs> no, on February the 4th, with my good friend Tyler Butterworth, who's the son oh, okay. of Peter, Peter Butterworth and, yeah, and Janet yeah. Brown. And it's actually Peter's birthday, so oh. we're going to celebrate his late dad's birthday, um, February the 4th, and I will get a bottle of Pitbull and, and toast Terry. There we go. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Rob, um, thank you very much. I know this has not been an easy week. I mean, we've talked, you and I have talked before about mm. the nature of what we do and talking about dead people, and it's always a bit of a shock when it's yes, yes. one of your, your friends that, that goes, but this is one of those cases where it actually has been a friend friend. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I appreciate you. you kind oh. of I, I, will, I will sing Terry's praises happily for anybody, but, but especially for you, Robert. I do enjoy chatting to you, and we're going to go off for a glass of something. Hopefully, we'll we find some people. We'll find some people. We'll, we'll find something. something. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. But it's been a joy. Thank you so much for asking me. Thank you. And, and you know, um, uh, folks, you, you can find Robert online. You're on Twitter at Robert W. Ross Esk. Esquire, Esquire. Esq. Uh, but the website is robertross.co.uk, uh, and if you basically if you just Google Robert Ross and carry on, you'll find me popping up all over. So, so I'm I'm very easy to find on social media, <laughs> Instagram and Facebook and all those. So uh, yes, social please come and say hello. I am. I know, you've got to do it, right? You know, um, I'm no, I'm no shrinking violet as you won't. <laughs> Rob, thanks very much. Okay. And uh, let's go to the pub. Let's do it. Thank you. Hooray! <laughs>